my cat before we get started. Let me just, okay. let me just show you some pictures. <laughs> Am I? I think I'm recording this. Oh, that's fine. I do want to see your cat, though. So here he is. Aww. His name is Bentley. Yeah, he has such a sweet face. He does. Aww. And oh my gosh, he's he's the sweetest mm. boy. He's So he's from the streets. Right, but like I know, I know. He's from the streets, but he doesn't bite, doesn't scratch. I get in his face, right, and I manhandle him, and he's like, "Fine, you know." He he talks a lot, he meows a lot, and he's got such a cute meow. I love him. (laughs) You should. He's. he's, I'm so excited to meet him. This is your godson. It is. (laughs) But anyway, so now that that's taken care of, check check the cat tearing off. Hello and welcome to the Brodacious Book Club, the podcast where we host a book club. And I haven't read the book. I'm your host, Aaron Rockford, and with me is my good, good bro, the bro Biden to my Barack Obama, <laughs> Matt Thomas. Oh, nailed it. <laughs> that sounded just as good in delivery as it did when we came up with it. As... Which is, I mean, we're Canadian. There's no... No, exactly right. There's, there's a degree of separation here mm. for us, so it's... Uh, that might be the key. That's yes. right. It's all just... We don't need to get into the politics. No, we don't. No, we don't. Every episode, we review a new book read by Aaron and discussed with me. I often know nothing or very little about the books discussed, providing a sort of sounding board slash peanut gallery with occasional humorous bent. Basically, if I understand the book by the end of the podcast, so will you. And that means that we've done our job. Our goal is to help you, the listener, understand the sometimes humorous nuances of books and stories without having to read them. Because you're busy, and we get that. Of course, because we'll be diving right in, we just like to issue a broad spoiler alert. We're going to be discussing pretty major plot points and character development, so of course, we will be covering spoilers. (laughs) So if you don't want spoilers, we absolutely encourage you to read the books beforehand, and then listen to the summary afterwards to hear our thoughts and see how it compares with your own analysis. Mm-hmm, exactly. And this podcast is meant for entertainment purposes. This is a comedy podcast. We mean no disrespect to the books that the authors discussed. We just think we're funny. That's right. Also, I love how this time you said, this is a comedy podcast, period. Not, this is a comedy <laughs> podcast? Like, we're getting more, we're coming into our own here. Yes. We're a little more confident now, you know? to be self-confident. That's exactly. right. Exactly. This exactly. is a comedy podcast. <laughs> This is. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm trying to self-actualize. That's right. Oh, jeepers. Okay, so, Aaron, what are we reading today? So today, we are reading the follow-up to The Poppy War, which we covered a few episodes back. This book is called The Dragon Republic, and it's by R.F. Kuang. Do you know when this was written, or a, an approximate date? <laughs> <laughs> You're so, just your face and then the frantic typing. Uh, leave it in. Don't cut it. That's great. I was pretty sure I knew what it was. It was last year, but okay. I just wanted to double check that. You're hysterical. So it came out last year. Good to know. Yes. And is there is there a third at this point or just the two? The third is coming out November 17th, which wow. I guess will probably be before you listen to it. But at the time we are recording that, that is still in the future. That's in three days. Yes. That's super so, exciting. Okay, yeah. good to know. So I figured, you know, we'd get this one in so that people yeah. could maybe like refresh yeah. themselves on the trilogy. You know, and I'm, I'm hoping now retroactively that my inquiring about a, a 
third novel wasn't in itself a spoiler. I apologize <laughs> if it was for anyone listening. So we've already read the the first book, but for those of our listeners who perhaps haven't or haven't listened to our episode, mm-hmm. would you like to give maybe a bit of a recap of, of our setting, our main mm-hmm. characters, or the story thus far? Yeah, I think that's probably a good idea because sure. just even for the both of us, just to remember no what happened. <laughs> but the Poppy War follows a war orphan in the fantasy country of Nikan, which is sort of a fantasy version of China. Her name is Rin, and she works really hard and gets into a prestigious military academy. And then when the third poppy war breaks out, she enters into the military itself. The war is against a country that's sort of fantasy Japan-ish, known as Mugen. And over the course of the war, Rin discovers that she's one of the only remaining people from this specific ethnic group known as the Spearleys, who were sort of genocided by Mugen, but with the cooperation of her own empress. And she is able to call on this god called the Phoenix and use magic and specifically fire magic. And she ends up getting placed with these other, they're called shamans, and they use like opiates as a way of helping them control the magic they can use. And this group of shamans, they're called, I don't think I mentioned what they're called in the first episode, but they're called the CK. Mm-hmm. At the end of the first book, the CK's leader and the other remaining Spearly, Altan, is killed. And in a rage after his death and after finding out that the Empress basically sold them out, she channels the Phoenix and destroys Mugen in its entirety. Mm. I think she makes a volcano volcano explodes specifically. Oh, I see. Okay, interesting. Good to know. Good to recap. <laughs> I know I just threw a lot of information No, that's just you. it. I'm just processing it all, making <laughs> sure that all the characters are in order in my head. Rin is the, not a spoiler, to say the Mao Zedong parallel, who yes. is proficient in fire magic, who called on the phoenix to destroy fantasy Japan, mm-hmm. aka Mugen. Yes, and I just, I feel like maybe I should just issue a slight content warning at the mm-hmm. beginning of this, just for like general war crime. Crimes, mm-hmm. violence, mm-hmm. you know. I think as as with the first one, I'm not going to go into too much detail about some of that, but just because I don't think it's a fun listening experience, mm-hmm. but, you know, just, just put that one up front. Indeed, and I'm going to actually make another little disclaimer just to say that this series does like to portray a fantasy kingdom, two fantasy kingdoms mm-hmm. that have a lot of parallels to real-life kingdoms and real-life people, mm-hmm. uh, historical figures. Any analysis here, any comparisons drawn is purely for the purpose of intellectual speculation. Yeah. And as we said at the top of the podcast, for fun. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so we mean no disrespect to any of the allegories mm-hmm. to different countries or anything like that. So. All that said. Absolutely. And this is, like, the author has been very open about the fact that she based some of the plot developments on the events of sort of early 1900s China, Mm. but they're not meant to be, I think, direct allegories. There Um, you have it. But I'm interested to see where the historical connections Mm -hmm. are, just Mm -hmm. so we can kind of talk about them, because I think they're interesting. Me as well, me as well. And actually, for, for our listeners who may not have listened to when we reviewed The Poppy War, I am somewhat of a a specialist in this this period of Chinese Mm -hmm. history, actually, on late Qing Dynasty, early modern China, the Republic of China, the People's Republic of China, the Civil War. So this is going to be super interesting in particular for me. Mm -hmm. I'm very excited for this. Uh, Yes. So 
that all said, without further ado, we've kept you waiting long enough. Erin, do you want to dive in? Yeah, so we actually start this book with a flashback of Neza, who is, uh, if we'll remember from the first book, he was a classmate of Rin's, and he, like, they had a rivalry, but then they became friends eventually once they were actually fighting in the war together, and then he was in an event where he was basically taken by the, the Mugen soldiers, and that was sort of where his story ended, but we were, I think we were both pretty much like, mm, he's probably not dead, because mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of unanswered questions there. He's also the son of the dragon warlord, who's mm-hmm. one of the most powerful people. Right, kind and of the, the, the martial side of things. Kind yeah. of, yeah. So the world of Nikan is spread into provinces, and they're all named after an animal. So there's um, Rin is from the Rooster province. That was where she grew up, which is one of the more impoverished provinces. Mm-hmm. And the dragon province is one of the biggest and most influential, and has a large army. And and he is the dragon warlord, which means that he's the leader of the dragon province. Of that region. Okay, interesting. Very yeah. good. And Neza is his son, is one of his sons. And the flashback that we see is of Neza seeing his brother getting killed by some mysterious thing in the water. Mm. Okay. <laughs> as they're kind of playing around as children. And that's not going to make sense for a little while, but just put a pin in that one. <laughs> Done. Pinned. Noted. So then we we jump back to the present day with Rin and the CK, Mm. who are now kind of on the run. Their goal is to take down the Empress, but that's, you know, difficult. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And so they've, they've allied themselves with this woman known as the Pirate Queen. Interesting. Yeah, because there is a pirate queen. There's a pirate queen in in actual Chinese uh, history. There is a pirate queen. I admittedly know very little about her, but that is a parallel to be drawn right there. I I think she was either Qing or Ming Dynasty, which are Mm. two very different. uh, Yeah, exactly right. But the two with which I am the most familiar. Interesting. All to Mm -hmm. say a parallel already. Go on, please. Indeed. The pirate queen, whose name is Moag, she has them killing off like leaders of local towns, basically just to increase her own power. And in return, she has promised them help in taking down the empress. She's, I think, a smuggler specifically. Like she smuggles opium. Mm. Rin is trying to stay away from the opium, but she ends up with withdrawal symptoms. And the god that she kind of serves, the phoenix, like it shows her images to like fuel her anger because when mm. she's angry it's easier to call on the the fire. Mm -hmm. So she's kind of a ticking time bomb. And she also keeps ending up in conflicts with the other sort of potential leader of the CK, who's a guy named Chagan? Chagan? I'm not sure how to pronounce this name, and I apologize. <laughs> Chagan was Altan's second in command, and he and Rin are kind of butting heads over leadership now. Okay. So we, we open on this mission, and as they're trying to assassinate this head of this random town, the Empress actually shows up in this city, and Rin sees her and is like, oh, well, I gotta, I gotta try. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but accidentally loses control of the phoenix and almost like creates a a big explosion they end up having to kind of drug her to stop her from accidentally wiping out the whole town Mm -hmm. and at this point like they all they like they all know what she's capable of they know that she destroyed mugen she's not super eager to do more war crimes Mm -hmm. but at this point in the novel she has basically done a genocide absolutely destroyed the entire civilization yeah which is like 
It, interesting. You know, I'm very curious to see how the author, R.F. Kuang, will portray Rin coping with that. Mm-hmm. The fact that Rin has killed thousands of people right or if that's going to be addressed at all if that's going to be part of her character development pushing her perhaps towards a more volatile version of herself Mm. uh, maybe able to justify more and more just speculating just speculating (laughs) at the beginning of the novel she's a little bit detached from it like she's sort of dissociated from sure both herself and what she's done and willing to take these risks and endanger them Mm -hmm. so they did in fact succeed in killing this guy so they returned to the pirate queen who also surrounds herself with warrior women which is fun awesome this is just the dream job I <laughs> <laughs> go on and she she says that she she needs them to do one more job before she will give them the people that she has promised mm-hmm. and it's pretty clear I think that she doesn't really want to wage war against the empress which Rin finds a little bit suspicious but they go ahead with this job anyway they also leave behind uh, a character that again you may or may not remember from the first book uh, Kite who was her best friend mm-hmm. from school he is just kind of there with them and he's doing Moag's taxes oh um, sure because <laughs> he's not really a fighter but he's very smart Right. So they go to do this job, but are subdued and attacked by someone who knows how to knock them out. Like mm-hmm. throws, I think, opium bombs kind of at mm-hmm. them, so they all pass out. Okay. And when Rin wakes up, she finds that they have been handed over to Neza, mm-hmm. who's alive. He's he's got some like scarring and stuff. He was in like a poison gas attack. Okay. That was the last time we saw him, but like he's fine. He says that he has gotten back with his father, who, again, is the, the warlord. Right. And he's taking the CK to meet with the dragon warlord. There's so many names in this. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm struggling to figure out how to give all of these names without just horribly confusing well, don't both worry. you and our listeners. Well, let's just say, you know, I'm, I'm scribbling down frantically yeah. to, to try to <laughs> keep up, but... Um, I guess just dump them on us in, yeah. in whatever way you can. So the the dragon warlord, Neza's dad, mm-hmm. he wants Rin's help to overthrow the empire, mm-hmm. and he wants to start a republic. Interesting, interesting, mm-hmm. very cool. Again, I'm just gonna <laughs> I'm just gonna go off, just riff a little bit. Talking of warlords or former generals, perhaps who, following the fall of the empire, hope to mm-hmm. establish a republic, and yeah. then very quickly having that republic be subverted yeah Yeah. twisted i'm reminded of some similarities there to to real life history during the fall of the Qing dynasty when some of the the generals warlords that Mm -hmm. served under the the dynasty under the emperor went against the empire and sought to establish their own republic which Mm -hmm. very quickly in the case of yuan shikai who was president of china for a little while before he declared himself emperor of a new dynasty (laughs) you know so just just interesting Interesting, interesting similarities there, parallels. Yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm. Dragon Republic. Mm. Yes. Go um, on. You go on. And the the dragon warlord's name is Visra. If Vizra. that's um, really cool name. It is a cool name. Uh, Rin is a little bit. She doesn't really want to take orders, mm-hmm. but this does seem to be the best opportunity to get back at the Empress. Basically, also none of them want to be killed if they refuse, which is not, I think, outright stated, but is kind of implied. They also pick up Kite. He's the son of the Defense Minister, so mm-hmm. he's worried about if he sort of officially defects from the empire that they will take it out on his family. Mm -hmm. Sorry, this is the childhood best friend. Yes. Yes. 
Visra kind of forces Rin to move past the need for opium Mm because she's sort of using it to like keep herself calm. He basically forces her to face her trauma, which (laughs) what a concept. Uh, (laughs) He's like kind of intense about it, but she ends up having a lot of respect for him for this. And she ends up managing to overcome like her, her addiction. Yeah. She sort of goes through a long period of withdrawal, obviously, but she kind of needs to in order to be like useful to mm-hmm. him. Mm-hmm. And then she she pledges herself to him properly because she can keep herself in control without the need for it. And in return for this, he gives her Altan's trident, which was his like special weapon, which sure. he got somehow. Cute. <laughs> we get a little bit of world building, I guess, political building about the Empress, that she is also, and I think we might have known this, that she is also a shaman of sorts. Right. Okay. That she's able to kind of beguile people. Mm-hmm. She's able to enchant them somehow. And also that even though she was theoretically the least powerful of the three, she used to be part of three people who kind of formed this empire or mm-hmm. like kind of united all these provinces. They were called the trifecta. Mm-hmm. She was theoretically the least powerful of them, but she is the only one who remains. Okay. So like clearly she's got some special skills. Sure. Refresh my memory. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that we covered this in the, the last book, but uh, mm-hmm. how does... Are they immortal? Has she ruled forever? I don't think they're immortal. They're just... There were these provinces beforehand. Mm -hmm. The Trifecta was the one to unite them, I believe. And then the other two have just died of old age then? Well, one of them disappeared, I think, and is presumed dead. And the other one we met in the first book. He sort of faded into obscurity. Right. And then now he's locked up in a mountain. Yeah. Okay, it's coming back now. Thank (laughs) you. Yeah, that's okay. I know it's it's been a while and also there's a lot. There's a lot. Kite finds out that his father is dead, that he died in the war somehow. And so he decides to join the, the attempted coup, I guess. Mm-hmm. And Visra wants to recruit the other warlords, because like I said, there's all these provinces. He wants to recruit them, but they don't want to join with him because they're okay where they are. So he intends to force their hand by basically killing off the Empress. Like his plan is that if he manages to kill her, they will be forced to choose a side. Mm-hmm. Either between Republican or Imperial. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, interesting. Whereas at the moment they can kind of float. So there's this convoluted plan to give Rin to the Empress and then when she and the Empress are alone together mm. she will break out of her chains and kill the Empress. Mm. This doesn't go according to plan because mm. we're like 20% into the book. Um, Surely, yeah. So obviously it doesn't. But they get a little bit of time to talk, just Rin and the Empress alone together. Okay. Because Rin is drugged. Like, they give her opium, and the idea is that because she has built up such a tolerance to it, she will emerge from the drugged state sooner than they anticipate. So she'll mm. have, like, a tiny window to attack the Empress while they still think she's drugged. Mm-hmm. The Empress basically tells Rin that, like, she knows what Vyjra is up to and says that he's lying about wanting a democracy. (laughs) Curious. Which is interesting. And she also scares Rin a little bit about there being conquerors from Hesperia, which is sort of fantasy Europe. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. Which I think I think they're mentioned once or twice in the first book, but mm-hmm. like not significantly. Well, I remember I asked because mm-hmm. I was I, I remember this clearly because I had speculated that perhaps the b- 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 Mugen yeah. was was meant to be England or some other sort mm. of uh, you know warfaring island nation, but. Mm-hmm. 
you assured me, no, 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 they're they're yet to come. You know, yes. the Europeans are another set. Yes. Um, so um, please do go on. And the Empress claims that Hesperians funded Mugen's war, mm. which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Um, Some definite historical parallels there. Exactly, exactly. And Rin basically realizes that the Empress is kind of only barely clinging onto the power that she has. Sure. The the Empress, whose name is Su Daji, mm. Daji, by the way, which maybe isn't important, but I just threw that out. Rin attacks her, and they fight, kind of. The Empress basically immediately overwhelms her with her, like... Empress power? Empress powers. Sure, gotcha. So cool. It is. She is saved kind of at the last minute by Chagin, who shows up and is able to grab her. Mm. But the Empress does something on, like, the spirit plane, which is where the gods exist. Sure. It, they call it a seal that's basically cut Rin off from her powers. Okay. So she can't access any of her magic. Mm, interesting. Yeah, which is troubling. Yes. Because... You know, that's kind of her, her, her main thing. Yeah, no kidding. That's the <laughs> whole reason why she was deemed to be important. Uh, also, another brief digression here for mm. uh, historical similarities and parallels. The historical context being that there was, in fact, just before the Qing Dynasty fell to mm. the Republic of China, well, to the period of chaos, and then to the Republic <laughs> of China, and then eventually to the People's Republic of China, before that, the Qing Dynasty fell, it was being led by... By an empress, mm. one of uh, China's only empresses in history, Empress Dowager Zushi. Perhaps you're familiar with her. She's very famous. We talked about her a little bit last time. I'm as sure well. we did. Yeah. I'm sure we did. I wouldn't have not. <laughs> She's one of my favorite historical figures, actually. So very interesting to see that parallel drawn. Really mm. interesting to kind of actually get to meet this fictitious Empress Dowager, Empress in in her own right in this case. Yes. And also interesting that you note that she is barely clinging on to the power mm. she has because that's. Exactly Exactly the position that the real-life Empress Dowager was in mm-hmm. at the fall of her, her Qing dynasty. And so, all to say, just a brief digression there. Yeah, please no, please go good. on. <laughs> That's um, what I'm here for, right? <laughs> Chagan tries to help Rin with the seal. Mm-hmm. They don't really manage to get anywhere with it. We also learn that it's sort of going to kill her slowly if she can't do anything about it, as well as locking out her power. And the interesting thing about the seal is that it materializes on this spiritual plane that they go to as Altan. Mm-hmm. And that when they're both seeing him, Rin realizes that they actually felt very similarly towards Altan, which was like, they were both kind of in love with him, but also afraid of him. And it was just this very, because he was like sort of this amazing leader figure, mm-hmm. but also like he had a lot of problems with the opium and he could get very violent and aggressive at times. Mm-hmm. You would think that this would maybe like help get them closer, but instead they just continue to be angry at each other, her mm-hmm. and Chagan. We also meet Venka, who I don't think I brought up in the first book, but she was another classmate of theirs. Mm-hmm. And she was in the fight, I don't know if you remember, one of the major set pieces of the first book was that they come upon the city that has just been entirely ransacked. Right, yeah. And they find Kite, who basically survived the siege by burying himself under some bodies. Right, I do remember. Um, And they also encounter Venka, who was basically turned into like a comfort woman Mm -hmm, during mm -hmm. the siege, even though she was also a soldier. Mm. And again, she survived, but 
not without some pretty significant trauma. Indeed. And she really wants to get back into the fight. Right. And her father, who, again, is a decently important guy, most of Rin's classmates were the children of, like, influential figures, mm-hmm. just because she ended up going to this, like, very the mis- prestigious... The military academy. Yeah, yes, academy. Indeed, yeah. Anyway, so Venka, Venka becomes important later, and also just I think her story is kind of interesting. Yeah, I'll just throw, throw her in mm-hmm, there. Mm-hmm. So in the aftermath of the attack on the Empress, there's now unavoidable war happening. Mm-hmm. And more provinces join Vizra. He mostly gets, I think, the southern provinces, mm-hmm. which are sort of the more impoverished provinces, mm-hmm. whereas the northern provinces, which are the wealthier ones, join with the Empress. Very interesting. Very mm-hmm. interesting. So, of course, not quite so cut and dry, <laughs> but the, the the conflict that is brewing here and now starting is really shaping up to be a parallel of imperial forces versus nationalist forces mm-hmm. led by Yuang Shikai. And the, the fact that the nationalist base of operations was in Nanjing in the south, the mm-hmm. southern capital, mm-hmm. um, is just, again, evocative yeah. of the historical parallels here, how China, yeah. uh, or in this case, <laughs> Mikan being divided by the yeah. the Yangtze River, perhaps, you know, right along the center. In <laughs> there any, is an important river there. There you have. So in any way, um, please go on. And Visor has also joined, he, he has alliances with uh, the Pirate Queen, who's mm-hmm. helping set up a blockade because she has a very large naval mm-hmm. force. Mm-hmm. And also they're joined by a small contingent of Hesperians mm. who have come up to, to, or come over, I guess, to join Visor's army me kind of on a trial basis like they're basically there to see I think specifically if the Nikan people are ready for civilization and then they will send more soldiers again it is interesting and I I think that from here out I might be interrupting a lot um the nationalist forces, less so under uh, Yuan Shikai, but more so under Generalissimo Chiang Kai-shek, who mm-hmm. succeeds the nationalist movement. He was backed by mostly by the United States mm-hmm. as his largest foreign backer, you know, the West trying to back yeah. a democratic system in yeah. China or Nikan. Mm-hmm. More parallels yeah. to go on. It's interesting because we get to see, this is not plot related, but I just think it's interesting as like white Canadians to read mm-hmm. this part where Rin is seeing these Hesperians for the first time mm-hmm. and is like, whoa, they look really weird. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like mm-hmm. comments on how their skin is really pale and how like their language is really weird mm-hmm. and all this stuff. And it was just kind of fun. I don't know. I found it interesting yeah, to read really interesting. from like a different perspective to be othered for once. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Super cool. And they have they have guns, basically, also. The Hesperians have guns, sure. which nobody in Nikan or Mugen would use. Mm-hmm. Basically, the deal that Visor has made with them is that they will give guns and also maybe more soldiers later if they're allowed to study Rin because they don't have magic in Hesperia. Interesting. Rin eventually agrees to this for the sake of Visra. Mm. There's also this religious component happening in this segment mm-hmm. where the Hesperians believe in a god and the god is opposed by chaos. Mm-hmm. And chaos is what makes these sort of more primitive, with heavy quotation mm. marks, mm. civilizations have magic. Oh. And so the magic is like sinful in some way. I see. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Need- Needless to say, yeah. <laughs> needless to say, 
heavy historical parallels there with missionaries being sent into China heavily by not just the Western European powers like France and Great Britain, but Russia, Germany. Mm -hmm. They all had missionary hands in China, which later on Mm -hmm. led to the Boxer Uprising, which also, interestingly, contributed to the collapse of the Qing Dynasty Mm -hmm. and the rise of the Republic. Indeed. In any case, please go on. The next thing that happens is that the major river that Mm. the city that they're in is on is poisoned. Okay. Which poisons the crops, most of the wildlife. It's not, I think, poisonous to the people in it. Like the... I don't think they can drink it, but like it's not, it's killed their food supply. Mm -hmm. So they have no choice but to sail out to war. And they're led by Neza's older brother, whose name is Jinza. Jinza's kind of a jerk, but he's like the the heir apparent or whatever. Rin and Kite are asked to go investigate where the poison is coming from. And they actually encounter another old classmate who is sided with the Empress because her brothers were in Mugen when Rin destroyed it. Mm. So we're seeing some of the collateral damage mm-hmm. and Kite shoots this former classmate and they resolve the conflict but they sort of bond over the trauma that they've both been through and this is sort of the first point where Rin really grapples with the amount of destruction she's caused and the amount of people that she's killed mm-hmm. and they, they grow closer the two of them but it's like ooh. Mm. <laughs> I was going to say questions Just and this is less mm-hmm. about the grand strokes of the story in general and more specifically about Rin as a character the way that I see it when she confronts Mm -hmm. what she's done they're kind of two roads she can take. Mm -hmm. She can either kind of embrace it, okay, you know, like, I am this agent of chaos and destruction now, or she can feel remorse. Do we have any indication at this point of which direction she's leaning? At this point, she's feeling remorse. Okay. At this point. Enough said. Very good. Okay. (laughs) I I would imagine, having never done a genocide, but Mm. I would imagine that this would be hard to wrap your head around, like having done that. Right, yeah. But anyway, so, so they start to move out, they start to take these cities. Visra's forces rely very heavily on uh, water power, like he has a big navy, and so they're able to move really fast through the waterways, and, mm. and they have a huge advantage there. And every time they take a city, the people inside of it get to vote on whether or not they'd like to join the Republic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we don't <laughs> see what happens if people vote no, because yeah. every time they vote yes, again... Interesting. With sort of the question of like... Coercion, a little yeah, bit. Yeah, there's a at least, like, they make it clear that at least the people within the city believe that if they vote no, they will be killed, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> which is probably not a bad assumption to make. But people vote to join the Republic, so they're kind of doing a democracy. <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> kind Let's of. call it that. They realize that the Empress is using Muganese troops. Sure. So anything that was left of Mugen, because some of the army was in Nikan when Mugen was destroyed, they were absorbed into the Empress's forces. And Rin is appalled by this. She wants them all dead still. And she advocates that like anyone who worked with Mugen should also die. Mm-hmm. And Jinza, who is the official commander of the army, mm-hmm. like Visra is sort of the head of the Republic, and Jinza is his army commander, I yeah, guess, is right that dynamic? Sure. Jinza chooses to incorporate these soldiers into the army if they wish to. Mm. And this leads to a conflict between Jinza and Rin, where she gets demoted and 
and the CK get disbanded mm. and like spread amongst the troops. The split begins. Yeah. She and Neza are still pretty close and they they spend quite a bit of time over the course of all this stuff happening. And she gets really drunk after she gets demoted and she tells Neza that she's not entirely sure if she trusts people to do democracy well. She's not sure that she like trusts the people to choose. Yeah. Which is an interesting thing to say. That is an interesting thing to say. Actually, mm. if I can digress here again, that's one of the justifications that a lot of even modern leaders from China have given for why democracy, quote, can't work. Because people uh, are dumb. Bingo. Exactly <laughs> Which, right. Exactly right. Um, yeah. So. Not great. She also thinks that the existing dynamics will still remain the same, regardless of what the political system is, that like the North will still be very rich and the mm-hmm. South will still be very poor and that democracy won't change that necessarily. The Republic is doing really well in the war. Like they're taking lots of land, everything's going well, but winter is setting in, which means that they won't be able to move the ships. Mm-hmm. So there's the question of whether or not they should stop and hold up or press on. And meanwhile, Rin is going through this occasional testing from the Hesperians mm. and it's like very humiliating and also pretty racist mm. <laughs> like the Hesperians are not nice to her and they pretty clearly think they're the superior race Jinza decides that they're gonna press onwards into the winter which I mean spoiler alert maybe not the best idea Didn't go well. historically sure maybe don't do that just sure. generally speaking yeah. I feel like don't overextend yourself that's just it in war that's just it. <laughs> it's a bad idea yeah the art of war with Aaron <laughs> yeah there's sort of an ongoing issue that like it's a war there's collateral damage there's refugees as they're celebrating the new year they stumble across a bunch of bodies of refugees who have just frozen in the snow right because they couldn't get to where they needed to be fast right, enough right. and Rin and Kite talk about the cost of the war and how uncertain that is they get to a point where the army attacks this stronghold and it's booby trapped mm-hmm. and in order to kind of save the day Neza is able to call on some god and demonstrates magical ability for the first time in, ah, in the books yeah and he explains that there's this dragon god who is sort of the patron of their family remember dragon warlord his family refers to it as him being sick mm. when it's actually that this dragon god has kind of claimed him okay he denies all of this she's like you're a shaman and he's like no I'm not I'm just <laughs> sick and she's like no that's I watched you do magic mm-hmm. she wants him to learn to control it properly but he's clearly like very afraid and ashamed of it and, and so they kind of drop it for, for now mm. just Jinza, again, insists on pushing forward to keep fighting, keep Mm -hmm. going, keep claiming more land. And at this point, it's kind of their only option. Like, they have to take a lot in Mm -hmm. order to be able to continue because the winter has set in. I think it's starting to cause issues with their supply lines and Mm -hmm. stuff. And otherwise, the Empress will be able to build up her army over the winter Mm. and they'll lose the advantage, potentially. They go into this battle against a character known as the Wolf Meat General. Sure. Because he rose to prominence during the Poppy War, and his armies ate anything they could find, Ah, and now he's a general. He's just the worst I have in my (laughs) notes. There's a scene where he kills one of the other commanders in the army, who's a woman, impales her on his sword, and Mm -hmm. like kisses her before he throws her overboard. It's like, 
What, dude, what? Why? Why? Yeah. And the battle's not going well just anyway. And then they're attacked by a shaman, who is the shaman we met in the last book who was in the mountain. I, this is maybe too vague, but they they accidentally, basically in, in the first book, Rin and Altan accidentally released a shaman who had gone mad and who had been locked up in the mountain to, like, control his powers. Sure. And he just kind of got away mm. And that was a loose thread. Right. Okay, so they meet up with the shaman again. Yeah, he's his name is Phelan. He is basically fused with his god, which is a wind god. Okay. And he fights against them, and he just tears through the fleet, basically. Sure, sure. He toys with Rin. He's not supposed to kill her, but mm. he's allowed to hurt her. Okay. And she's still sealed. She can't really fight back. Mm-hmm. Everything just goes terribly, basically. <laughs> Rin and Kite end up going over a waterfall as mm. Phelan tears the fleet apart. Uh, and extension. Yeah, they probably should have holed up when they had had time to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but Rin is okay. She and, she and Kite survive the fall. They end up with Chagan and some of the Hesperians at the base of this waterfall. And they are set upon by these riders who show up, who call themselves Watchers. Mm-hmm. Basically, they're revealed to be this group that keeps an eye on shamans to like stop them from getting too powerful. Hmm. And also, I think, to Like, they sort of keep the secrets of the magic in this world. Okay. They identify Chagan as one of them. Also, Chagan has a twin sister, and she's here also. Her name is Kara. That's... <laughs> Sorry sure. to throw that at you last Good to minute, know. but that's also important. So he and her were basically sent by this group to keep an eye on the CK okay. and to cull any of them if it became necessary. Mm-hmm. And basically they've become overly invested. It happens, I guess. So it goes. And they also sort of accidentally helped the trifecta come to power mm-hmm. years ago. Okay. And, and they're invested now in getting rid of the Empress. Mm. So they end up being willing to ally with Rin. They also try to take the seal out, and they're able to basically take away the poison part of it, the part that's going to kill her. Yeah, so she's not dying slowly, but she still can't use her magic. Okay. And there's a cool scene where she sees Altan in her mind, and she sees this world where Spear was never destroyed. She also realizes that he... She she basically humanizes him, is how Mm. she gets out of this, is that she realizes that he wasn't this, like, great unshakable hero. He was just a traumatized boy. Mm -hmm. And that sort of enables her to leave this delusion and to leave the poison behind. Mm. Okay. That's nice. Yeah. Nice character development. It is. It is. So she still can't use her powers, but the leader suggests doing this thing that will bond Rin and Kite Mm -hmm. because then she will be able to use her power through him. Oh, okay. Cool. It's like he basically becomes like an anchor. Uh-huh. I don't understand all the metaphysics of it. Sure. It'll make her potentially more in control also. Mm-hmm. It's revealed that the trifecta also had one of these such bonds, mm-hmm. which was unstable because there were three of them. There's only supposed to be two. Mm. And also that the other thing about this bond is that if one person is killed, the other person will be as well. Mm. Unless there's a way of breaking it at like the last minute, but it has to be consensual. Okay. So like one person couldn't kill the other one without killing themselves. Okay. So that's why the Empress wasn't able to kill either of the other two Trifecta members. She just kind of had to lock them away. I see. Okay. Good to know. Yeah, because they could 
choose to kill her as well, mm-hmm. basically. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. So they bond her and Kite, so they're now bros, bros for life, sure. I guess. As they're preparing to move on from this, one of the members of this group, they're called the Katraids, or like the Watchers. Mm-hmm. One of them decides to stage a coup and kills the others and... <laughs> Oh. Yeah, and, and takes over the group. Oh dear, okay, um, sure. And they manage to sort of chase them away. But Chagan's sister gets shot, mm. and they're a bonded pair. And so there's this sort of sad scene where they both have to like allow the bond to dissolve so that he doesn't also die with her. Mm. Sad. Yeah, yeah. And then he basically decides to go back to these tribes, which like live in the mountains or something, in order to, I guess, fight this coup. I don't know. This whole piece kind of comes out of nowhere and then bit, vanishes again into the ether of the story. I mean, convenient to, to bring into play the whole Bond thing. The Bond and thing is the cool. the removal of the poison. But mm-hmm. if that was such a concern, then why would you give the seal a poison aspect anyways? But I guess yeah. because she needed to meet the Watchers. So there you have yeah, it. Um, yeah. I do like the Bond aspect, but the rest mm-hmm. of it is a little bit like, okay, sorry, what's happening? Yeah. No, that's, it's very volatile, <laughs> right? Very volatile. Um, I also will note at this point this similarity is a little bit loose perhaps mm-hmm. uh, will be confirmed or denied later on in the story but if Rin is meant to be a Mao Zedong type of character Mao had a right hand man throughout his entire life named Zhou Enlai uh, mm. who was the first premier of the Republic of China and kind of the counterweight to Mao's revolutionary anger mm-hmm. uh, desire for constant turbulence and constant revolution that was kind of Mao's ideology mm-hmm. and Zhou Enlai on the other hand was the more measured hand who led the country while Mao was working on his pet projects to put it mm-hmm. unapologetically <laughs> and in that way kind of acted as a bit of an anchor mm-hmm. and that's the similarity that I have seen here we'll see how their relationship plays out mm-hmm. but uh, in any case so Rin and Kite head back to the stronghold they have to take a raft there Mm. and while they're traveling they get used to working together and they get used to channeling magic through him Mm -hmm. it does kind of hurt him to do it Mm. and they also discover that if one of them is hurt the mark will appear on the other as well Mm. which is kind of neat Mm -hmm. and as they're traveling they also talk about you know the destruction of Mugen she says that she was in a rage when she did it and now she just feels grief Mm. and they again sort of grow closer when they get back to the capital of the dragon province they are welcomed back neza made it back he's he he survived the battle mm-hmm. but his brother jinza did not make it back mm. so fair enough jinza was a bit of a dick <laughs> yeah so. he wasn't he wasn't the best <laughs> uh, and neza finally explains to her this whole dragon thing it said that the dragon ate his little brother when they were young and that's the flashback from the right, beginning right the dragon in the water the dragon in the water yeah because his powers are water based okay it's a water dragon and he's got this like cool dragon tattoo on his back mm-hmm. that's like a mark like the dragon gave it to him kind of thing and every moment that he's away from the dragon it hurts him mm, it's interesting. like yeah it's this very strange i don't I don't know that the implication is direct, that it's like a grooming thing. Mm -hmm. And like, I don't think there's exactly like a sexual element to this relationship with the dragon. There's definitely an abuse angle to it Mm -hmm, in mm -hmm. like a troubling way. Mm, Okay. (laughs) That the dragon like claimed him as a child and wants him to return to it. I see. Okay. Gotcha. The dragon specifically wants him to become part of his collection. Sure. Interesting. Okay, cool. And Neza thinks that he and Rin both are abominations 
machinations, and she calls him a coward for believing that. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> which is intense. In very intense. Yeah, okay. <laughs> she also says, we're not allowed to die. We're too powerful. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. there's also, there's refugees from Rin's home province now in the capital. Like, refugees have just kind of arrived as, as they are wont to do. Mm-hmm. And she actually runs into her old adoptive family. It was sort of her aunt and uncle who are starving and her adopted brother. And the aunt, or I think it's just the aunt and the brother maybe. The aunt kind of yells at her, but then realizes that she's powerful and starts Mm -hmm. like pleading for food. And it's just kind of sad and pathetic. And the other refugees kind of realize that like there's a personal connection there and they look to her to help them in some way. Mm -hmm. And she can't really do much for them, but she does like feel for them, especially her little brother who's like, why didn't you ever write to me? Mm. And she's like, oh, Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> been, been off fighting wars. Yeah. Wiping islands off the face of the earth, you know. Yeah. Also, the Empress sends a messenger with a collection of dumplings that are implied to be filled with Jinza's meat. Oh, okay. Which is, yeah, like it's it's just some meat dumplings and it says the dragon devours his sons on it, which is... Dang, okay. <laughs> That's poetic. It is. Gross. Anyway, the Empress's fleet is now coming for them. Mm-hmm. They're kind of all of they suffered basically a massive blow. Sure, things are not going well for the Republic at this point. <laughs> Rin volunteers the CK to help slow down the fleet, mm-hmm. and people are also leaving them. Like like some of the provinces that had allied with them are like actually just, I'm, mm, I'm out. No, yeah, <laughs> not, gotcha. Which is also not good. Rin gets Alten's trident melted down into a sword that she mm-hmm. can use a bit more easily. Which is cool, yeah. She ends up getting invited to a meeting of the other warlords, sort of the like the other provinces warlords, uh, who want to defect, Mm -hmm. and they want her help. They basically claim that Visor wants to put himself on the throne. He Mm -hmm. doesn't actually want to make a republic, Mm -hmm. which, again, this is not the first time we've heard this incredibly Mm -hmm. specific thing. She refuses to help them out. She's like, you're all cowards. You know, we need to stick by the republic. We need to stick by Visor. There's also a scene where she sees a Hesperian soldier attacking a girl mm. and she she kills him by burning his genitals off and then mm. dumps his body in the river. Wow. Okay. Because if they find the body of a Hesperian that she has very obviously murdered, it's going to be really bad. In a very brutal way. In a very brutal way, Indeed. yeah. She and Kite have a discussion where they realize that the Hesperians have been orchestrating these wars and that that makes a lot of sense, that they're sort of influencing this from behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. And she worries that once she's no longer useful, she's just going to be sold off to them, basically, to like fully experiment on. And meanwhile, basically their biggest threat at this point is fate. The, the wind god. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Kite invents these mechanical wings that she's somehow able to power with her fire oh, that's so that sweet. she can meet him in the air. Awesome. Yeah. Really cool. <laughs> it's very cool. And they also recruit Venka, the girl classmate that they had, mm-hmm. to like help them out. Sure. Because she has some, I think, disability. She's not able to hold a sword anymore.
anymore, but okay. she has like a crossbow she can use. Cool. So she's going to be arrow support. Mm-hmm. It's all very awesome. Visra orders Rin to kill the pirate queen because mm-hmm. she started to be a nuisance for him. Mm-hmm. I think specifically she's a nuisance for the Hesperians mm-hmm. who have still not sent their army as they have been promising mm-hmm. to do. But Rin decides that she's actually going to warn the pirate queen mm-hmm. instead that Visor is turning on her. And in doing so, turn on Visra herself. Yeah. There you have it. The split has already <laughs> begun. Uh, Pretty much. Okay. Okay, go um, on, go on. She and Neza argue again. He's very afraid of using his powers still, but they do discuss the gods as like directly kind of abusive figures to mm-hmm. them, mm-hmm. which I think is kind of interesting. But before this conversation can really get going, the gongs sound that like the battle is about to start. Mm. Rin and Neza have to fight their old combat teacher and they have to fight the wolf meat warlord. He's mm-hmm. back. Mm-hmm. And then Phelan shows up again, and she has an advantage because, again, he's not supposed to kill her. So mm-hmm. they manage to kind of trap him using, like, her flying and the support and the from arrows, the others. Yeah. yeah. And they basically explode a mountain onto him. Oh, right. As you do. And sure. just, like, Flatten crush him. him. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. And it's it, it's this whole epic battle. That sounds epic. I'm, I'm summarizing for time, but yes. it's, a, it's a cool battle. But Rin gets hit by a javelin, which takes out one of the wings Mm -hmm. and so she kind of falls into the river and Neza jumps in after her and uses his powers to save her. Mm -hmm. That's nice. Yeah it is it is. He pulls her up. I think they end up in kind of a little cavern. Sure. In kind of a wild coincidence, the Hesperian ships finally show up, the reinforcements that they've been expecting. Okay. So that kind of ends the battle effectively. Like, now Rin has taken out their big shaman, now the Hesperians are there, and mm-hmm. that's, like, battle over, basically. Over, yeah. But, like, in this cavern or whatever on the shore, they also find the Empress... <laughs> Strange. <laughs> Who was on one of the ships, I guess. Right, and okay. ran ashore. Like I said, it seems very... <laughs> very convenient. Very convenient yeah. to run into her. and Alone? Yeah. Sure. <laughs> it's. I think it's sort of like her ship kind of ran aground or like sunk and she swam to shore. Mm, um, okay. Things are not going well for the Empress. Clearly. She does like a, we're not so different, you and I mm-hmm. kind of speech. Mm-hmm. Rin manages to resist the Empress's power this time, manages to fight back. Mm-hmm. The Empress shows her a vision of what life was like for her as like a child, because she grew up under a Mugen invasion. Right. She apologizes for hurting Rin and Altan and says that, like, you're going to need me. She also, again, provides evidence that the Hesperians encouraged the Mugen people to invade and Mm. funded them. And then before Rin can really come to a decision about this, a ship falls over and Rin gets trapped underneath it and the Empress gets away. Oh, okay. I thought Um, you were going to say the the Empress was crushed and I would have been sad. That would have been, yeah, that would have been quite an ending. But she's found by Kite and Venka and they ask ask, like, did you let the Empress go? And Rin says, I don't know. She's not sure. What she was intending to do. Yeah, she's not sure what she was intending to do there. And then she collapses, succumbs to her wounds and and falls unconscious. And when she wakes up, they've basically won the war with the Hesperians' help. Like, they Mm -hmm. wiped out the Empress's fleet and the Empress is missing in action. Mm -hmm. Rin tells everyone that she saw the Empress dead. Ah. Which is... 
a lie, but mm-hmm. they're willing to accept <laughs> that. She and Neza kind of reconcile. Vizra is getting her to like execute people for him. Mm-hmm. And she's pretty clear that things are not going well for her here. Mm-hmm. That like things are going to break bad pretty quickly. Like the the warlords aren't really happy. Mm-hmm. And so she instructs everyone to get ready to flee, basically. Mm-hmm. She spends like one last night with her friends, and Neza is all about like the virtues of the Republic. He's really excited about it. And she and him kind of stay out talking about this and about how the Hesperians wanting to like wipe out shamanism. And then Neza stabs her, which oh. is a wild plot. What? Twist. Yeah, not fatally, just, sh- just like a little just stab. Just a, pl- a playful little stab. Yeah. Sure. Okay. No, I don't understand. Um, I. <laughs> what? Okay. Please. So Rin wakes up in the dungeon, like drugged and chained up. Right. And Neza's mom comes in. And Neza's mom is like all the way buys into the Hesperian religion and oh, their okay. beliefs about shamanism. Yeah. And she's angry that Rin didn't help the Hesperians fix her son of his shamanism. Mm. And she's forced to watch as Vizra's soldiers execute the last of the CK. He comes in and says, like, oh, you're dangerous. I'm going to give you to the Hesperians. Which, again, she... She called it. Yeah, she, she anticipated that happening. She suspects that perhaps Vizra let... Neza go to the dragon god on purpose and that like he because he wanted the power but also like wants he wants the allies more Mm -hmm, I guess mm -hmm. so Kite manages to contact her by carving the word wear onto his skin because it shows up on hers too yeah, and so she's able to write back to him to tell him like where she is in the palace sure. or the fort or wherever it is that they are. So he comes for her. They have to like break her hand to get it out of the chains, yeah. but they end up managing to get out of the dungeon. Venka meets them with a ship. She gets the information that the refugees are rioting. The southern warlords are trying to exit and being like hunted down if they can be. Mm-hmm. They run into Neza on their way out, and he kind of lets them go. Mm-hmm. They get onto a ship and he could probably stop them with his powers, but Mm -hmm. he doesn't. They're then picked up by the pirate queen, who is her ally now Mm -hmm. because she saved her before. Mm -hmm. A physician sees Torin's hand Mm -hmm. and says, you'll probably lose it. Like, you will probably lose the use of it because it was broken so harshly getting it out of the chains. And Rin's like, well, I can't use the sword anymore. And the physician is like, why do you need one? You can do lots of magic. Which, fair enough, I guess, but... (laughs) Hands are still helpful Hands sometimes. are still nice. Basically, Vizra is now kind of a puppet emperor now that the Hesperians are there. They mm. have all the power. I mean, mm. they have all the army. And Rin and her people talk about what troops they can gather, who might support them. She realizes that they can get support from the peasants and the refugees. <laughs> Again, the communists yep. appealed heavily yep. to the peasants and the yep. you know, the rural population. So Yeah, yeah. She figures she can appeal to those who have been oppressed mm-hmm. by the system that they live in. Mm-hmm. Kite says something about I guess we're going to war against the strongest military force in the world and she says, No, they're not the strongest. I am. Ooh, and that's where the book ends. Very cool. <laughs> oh, I love it. 
So exciting. I guess my my first question before I ask anything else, any of my usual questions about satisfaction is, do you know the title of the upcoming book in three days? The Burning God. Ooh, very interesting. <laughs> first question, other than that, The Burning God, very exciting. How How do you feel? Are you satisfied? Did you enjoy it? Did you enjoy it as much or more than the last? I have yeah. thoughts, answers to all of yeah. these as well, so go ahead. I really liked this book. I think I liked it more than the first one. Me too. The first one spends a lot of time like getting you used to the world, getting you like through the academy part, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. whereas this is a lot more focused on like the political context mm-hmm. and the... Civil war. Yeah, the civil war, basically, and I was really interested in all that and like the complicated dynamics between like her coming to trust Visera and mm-hmm. believe in him mm-hmm. and then realizing that he was not a good guy mm-hmm. and not actually trying to do anything revolutionary and turning on him. Indeed. I thought that was all really interesting. So yeah, and I, I love getting to see the Empress and like learn more about her. I really liked her as a character. Yeah, yeah no kidding, eh? Mm-hmm. Super interesting. I really liked getting to see her and Rin interacting. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's yeah. I think easy in this kind of a story to end up with a villain who's like very far away. And not mm-hmm. that there's any necessarily like just one villain i imagine we will see the empress again in the next one because she got away Um, you don't just leave strings loose if you're not going to pull them exactly exactly and so far like this book did a really good job of pulling on strings from the first one i thought Mm -hmm. so i'm really interested to see how it all comes together Mm -hmm. in the end certainly yeah Yeah. no kidding i'm interested to see how they pull all of the narrative threads together but also really interested to see how the next book goes because it's very similar paralleling uh, history, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. As I mentioned uh, when we were discussing the a very abridged version of yeah. Chinese 20th century <laughs> history, the empire falls. There mm-hmm. is a period of chaos after a young Shikai declares himself emperor, is mm-hmm. deposed. There's a, a period of warring factionalism from yeah. which emerges the the heir to the, the nationalist movement, which ends up being Chiang Kai-shek mm-hmm. and the emerging communist movement led by Mao Zedong and uh, Zhou Enlai, along with other figures who come into play uh, later on in Chinese history. So I'm very curious to, first of all, calling it now, Vizra is going to die. Probably. His son is going to take over for yeah. the Republic, who yeah. espouses the, the good merits of democracy, mm-hmm. not realizing that he is a puppet of the Western imperialists. Yeah. And indeed, it's there was one, one moment where I saw very clearly that this split was going to come from within the dragon or martial faction mm-hmm. and that was when Rin thinks to herself democracy won't fix this yeah democracy will not fix this inequality yeah yeah what will yeah she will communism yeah, that's right <laughs> and so it's very I'm very curious to see not only how she develops as a character mm-hmm. into potentially someone who is more egotistical maniacal what's the word I'm looking for thinks themselves a like god like authoritarian yeah, indeed authoritarian yeah. absolutely but I'm also very eager to see how she will justify further acts of war having seen the impact I mean she thought to herself this war what is the cost of this Mm -hmm. war on the little people of the country so I'm very curious to see how that goes I'm also very very curious to see how RF Wang will portray communism yeah and I realized in keeping with my disclaimer at the top, this is all allegorical. We're discussing ideas intellectually and for the purposes of, of mm. fun, speculative analysis, right? But that being said, I'm curious to 
see how sympathetic she will be towards mm-hmm. Rin's cause, the cause of all of Nikan, um, yeah. given the real-life historical parallels yes. and the eggshells on which most people walk over those parallels. <laughs> Rightly yeah. so, right? So I'm very curious to see mm-hmm. how she approaches that. So excited that her new book comes out in three days. Oh, my God. (laughs) We'll probably cover that maybe in a few months. Mm. Like, I I don't know. I I don't like to hop on things as soon as they come out. Of course. I don't know. That just... I don't want... Too mainstream for us. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah. And I I found really interesting in this book that I still found Rin to be a very sympathetic character in this book. Which is fascinating to me because she committed a genocide at the end of the first. Killed an entire civilization. Yeah. Yeah. It's very hard to have that happen and still have the character be sympathetic and understandable mm-hmm. and like doing things that are perhaps like you empathize I think with her experience of wanting to help the little person mm-hmm. that that's still sort of a morally good mm-hmm. action I'm mm-hmm. you know in in sort of very black and white thinking mm-hmm. generally speaking that's a good intention mm-hmm. of course that doesn't necessarily mean that things that flow from that will be good mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. keeping that as sort of the core of her interests and her motivation like that still serves to keep her a a compelling character that we're rooting for and you know i think that you may have just answered one of the questions Mm -hmm. that i had how is she going to she being rf kuang how Mm -hmm. is she going to portray and justify this i i use quotes because Mm -hmm. this is a work of fiction communism you know yeah Perhaps that's just how, because yeah. in the end, the the justification is that Rin and her faction mm-hmm. uh, are doing this for the little people, mm-hmm. right? To what end, right? And, yeah. and that's where the real life blurry lines come into play. But but in any case definitely something to, mm-hmm. to watch for to be mindful for absolutely and this is fairly recent history like obviously mm-hmm. it's older than either of us neither of us remember it's true the the events of you know the second world war indeed but this to me is still somewhat of an unresolved question like mm-hmm. i know obviously mao zedong is dead mm-hmm. but like his legacy is still a very controversial one let's certainly. say depending certainly. on where in the world you are perhaps yeah. and what your views are of of the People's Party of China. Exactly, that's um, absolutely right, yeah. And that, that to me, differentiates this a little bit from, for example, George R. R. Martin basing the Game of Thrones books partially on the War of the Roses. Mm-hmm. Like, that is more settled history in a lot absolutely. of ways right. than I would think this is. If we were doing a Game of Thrones discussion, we wouldn't have to put out yeah. a, a, a <laughs> warning beforehand saying, we are speculating on fiction and drawing parallels <laughs> yes. for fun and for intellectual purposes only because no one would get offended or upset about you know yeah, well, comparisons I mean, I, to the War of the Roses. Yeah, I mean, I think there are still some some Richard the Third stands out there. Fair enough. Get angry at us if Fair we, enough. If we went off on him, what but, do I you know? know? What do I know? Right, but but you in that sense are absolutely right. There are still giant portraits of Mao Zedong mm-hmm. hanging outside of the Avenue of Eternal Peace, um, yeah. st- uh, hanging outside of Tiananmen Square. His legacy is def- you know actually I was reading something yesterday yesterday that was saying it was a, a very highly well-respected official in the communist party i can't remember which one but it, this was just after mao's death the the official was uh, quoted in saying if mao zedong had died right after he founded the people's republic of china 
Argentina in 1949, then he would have been remembered as an incredible monumental leader who did great things for the People's Republic in that he founded it and fought Mm -hmm. for it. If he had died right after the Great Leap Forward, Mao's first failed attempt at mass mobilization, then he would have been remembered as still a great leader whose experience was perhaps stained a little bit. But since he has died after the Great Leap Forward and the Cultural Revolution, well, enough said, essentially, (laughs) is what the official said. So to your point about his legacy being confused, absolutely Mm -hmm. it is, both within China and without, both within the party Mm -hmm. and without. And of course, internationally, there are a lot of different takes. Um, Yeah, and we are obviously coming at this from a specific sort of cultural point in some ways. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, It's it's very important to acknowledge our own biases. Mm -hmm. But, you know, given the fact that the Great Leap Forward and the Cultural Revolution and the years in between Mm -hmm. are referred to as China's lost years, given the fact that these initiatives are responsible for the deaths of hundreds of Mm -hmm. millions of of people, right? I'm curious to see what the next book has in store, Mm -hmm. if anything. I have a feeling the next book will focus mainly on the early persecution of, let's call them shamans Mm -hmm. instead of communists, uh, perhaps. I was thinking that the the CK was going to become kind of communist faction within this group, but that's just as it happened in in history. You know, Mm -hmm. the communists and the nationalists worked together to fight off the Japanese in World War II, and after that, the armistice was over, and Mm -hmm. they were back at each other's throats, and the nationalists were, honestly, had them on the ropes for a lot of of the conflict. So I'm also very curious to see, I don't know, what is going to happen to this dragon republic, if, Mm -hmm. if it's just going to fall, or if they are going to touch on potentially, this might be too hot of a topic for the author to consider approaching, yeah. but whether she's going to consider having the Republic, the Dragon Republic, operate as a government in exile, perhaps mm-hmm. from an island off the coast of uh, <laughs> of this Nikan. We'll see. We'll yes. see. Yeah, and I don't know, like, this was a monster of a book. Like, this book is, I think, over 500 pages long. Oh, yeah. And I imagine that the next book will be similarly long, Mm -hmm. but that's still not... If we're looking at the span of even Mao Zedong's history, there's still quite a bit to cover. Oh, so much. So, and I think the next one is the last one in the series. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, I don't know how far, like, if she will take it all the way to the end, or... Doubt it. Yeah, Yeah. or if there will be a cutting-off point, and if so, what the cutting-off point is. Indeed, I I speculate that in order to save the legacy of her own character, Mm -hmm. potentially, Rin might die after successfully taking down this dragon Mm -hmm. republic and creating a, quote, more just society of her own, you Mm -hmm. know? Just as I said, that that quote, that that comment made by the official, right? If Mao Zedong had died right after he founded the People's Republic, he'd be remembered as a great man. Yeah. Potentially. Potentially. We'll see. And I don't think that would necessarily be a a non-thematic ending to Indeed. her story. Absolutely. So yeah. I also don't know where it's going. I don't know where it's going to end up, but mm-hmm. I'm very interested to see also. We will see. Mm-hmm. We will see. On va voir. Yeah. On va voir. The, the Hesperians and their the role that they play. Yeah, very yeah, interesting. Yeah, that's going to be very interesting to see it how will. that resolves. Because it now will. it's it's pretty much not even Rin against the Republic. It's Rin against a, a puppet Republic, mm-hmm. basically. Mm-hmm. Rin Which, against the Hesperians. Indeed. Mm-hmm. Which Chiang Kai-shek's nationalists 
in in reality were heavily funded by the United mm-hmm. States until he fled to Taiwan, at which point it became clear that the People's Republic of China was going to be here to stay and that the Republic of China had been successfully exiled. So I am very curious to see what they do there. And I mean, on a more like fictional level, Please. I'm interested to see how the character dynamics resolve in terms of mm-hmm. like Rin and Neza, who have kind of at times what it seems to be a budding romance. Mm-hmm. And then obviously things did not go that way. Mm. So I'm interested to see what's going to happen there. And and also between like her and Kite, where mm-hmm. if one of them dies, so can the other. Mm-hmm. I mean, that seems like a rife relationship for drama. Sure does. And also the, like, what's going to happen with these tribes who hold the secrets to shamanism, because that's going to have to get wrapped up somehow, I assume. <laughs> Actually, I'm just looking it up right now, and interestingly enough, the character that Kite, the mm-hmm. the person who I drew the parallel to uh, with him being uh, Zhao Wanlai, mm-hmm. Mao Zedong's anchor, if you will, they died within months of each other. Interesting. Isn't it? Mm-hmm. Isn't it? So it is interesting. <laughs> in any case, uh, I guess that's a, about all I've got to say here. I'm yeah. just, I'm yeah. loving it. I Oh, and yeah, as for my responses, I don't know if I did You're that yet. Oh, I'm so satisfied. <laughs> I loved this. I really preferred the second one to the first, mm-hmm. just because the first is, you know when you read a Wikipedia page about a person and there's mm-hmm. a section that's personal life, and then yeah. there's the section that's all the bit that you know why they're famous? Yeah. Yeah. This book was that bit. You yeah. know, uh, the, the first book was personal life. And yeah. so from the perspective of someone who likes good fiction, mm-hmm. it was a, just a really interesting story with a yeah. lot of moving bits. And I love me a, a good bit of intrigue and a good coup here and yeah. there, you know, from a, a lover and enthusiast uh, and aspiring specialist in Chinese history, mm-hmm. particularly in modern Chinese history. I found it super interesting because this book covered the Civil War, the fall mm-hmm. of the Qing and and the the rise of republic and again i use all these terms completely allegorically i want to make yes. that abundantly clear <laughs> i find it interesting to see some of these allegories and some of these connections mm. just for like richer context mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but also even aside from all of that i think it's a very good fantasy book <laughs> yes indeed that's just it right you yes. know like as we were going through it i was thinking to myself wow not only this story in terms of the dragon republic and the mm-hmm. poppy war the the books themselves but just in terms of of the historical narrative mm-hmm. of the fall of imperial China and the yeah. rise of communist China and everything in between. Mm-hmm. That's a good story. That is yeah. an <laughs> epic to unpack. And yes. I feel as though this not directly does it justice it in itself stands as such a good story yes that it's it's comparable for me to mm. the reality all that said just with more magic much more magic <laughs> yes i guess on that note on that note uh, why don't you introduce the next book tell us what we're going to be reading next yeah. So I guess maybe also this is slightly an announcement that we're just, we're going to space out our episode releases for a bit just because we're both pretty busy at the moment. Mm, So Busy time of year. Yeah, exactly. So the next one will be coming out probably mid-December and Mm. then I guess we'll reevaluate in the new year how busy we are. Super. So there's just going to be one more episode for this year, but we're going to be covering The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe by C.S. Lewis. Ooh, yeah. Which you're probably all very familiar with, but we figured it was sort of vaguely holiday themed. Vaguely Christmassy. There's snow. Exactly. 
Exactly. I mean, <laughs> Father Christmas does appear. He does appear. Fair enough. Them swords. <laughs> but Bow we, and arrow. But as we were sort of talking about Every Heart a Doorway a few months ago, we realized we had a lot to say about Narnia. Indeed so we did. We're going we're gonna to go into that and we're going to see what happens. Yes, and that'll also be an interesting experiment because that will be the first book we have reviewed, which we both yes. read. Yes. So that'll be... I'll have to change up the intro for we that will. one. We but will. It's going to be fun. It's going to be good. So stay yeah. tuned. That'll be December, probably. Yeah, some, sometime early to mid-December, yeah. let's say. It's yet to be seen. Yeah. But it'll be out when it's out. Get off our backs. No, just kidding. Just kidding. We love you. So, uh, cool. If you've enjoyed listening, and presumably you have, since you made it all the way to the end, please leave us a rating, thumbs up, like, or subscribe, depending on your respective podcast streaming platform. And you can find all of our episodes on Buzzsprout as the Brodacious Book Club. And you can reach us at brodaciousbookclub at gmail.com. And we're also on Facebook and Twitter, both at Book Brodacious. There's a lot of Bs <laughs> in there. Try saying that five times fast. <laughs> or you can probably just search Brodacious Book Club and we'll come up there. So feel free to give us a follow on there if you feel like it. Feel free to give us any recommendations you have. Please, wouldn't that be fun? That would be fun. We love hearing from you, so yeah. I check the email at least once a month. Oh, that's good. <laughs> good, good. Thanks again for listening. I've been Aaron Rockford. You can reach me at Pineapple Fury on Twitter. And I'm Matthew Thomas, and you can reach me at msthomas95 on Twitter. And remember, everyone, stay too powerful to die. That's right. That's <laughs> right.